0: Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. Welcome to our August 2022 edition of the show. Every month we release a new podcast. I am here to moderate, to host, very much in the MC uh, capacity. And I am joined for the, the meat of the show, really, is our two guest film critics every month We'll invite two different film critics on to discuss and talk about some of the new releases coming to your local picture house cinema we can't cover every single film of course there are too many films and the podcast is is yeah you know, it's like 40 minutes long uh we don't have time but we do pick four films that we are excited about for whatever reason maybe they're the biggest new releases maybe they're a, an underdog that needs championing maybe they're from a filmmaker who we adore and in fact on this month's show all of those boxes are ticked. It's a great month. I'm excited to get into it. But who will be joining me on my quest to cover the highlights of August? Let me introduce them. We will have guest film critics, Hannah Strong, digital editor at Little White Lives magazine. You may have also read Hannah's words in our very own Picture House Recommend magazine. Hannah is a regular contributor uh, if you're in a cinema right now. Grab that magazine and flick to the latest review, from Hannah Strong, uh, really wonderful writer. So thrilled to have Hannah on board. And in the blue corner, we've got Jake Cunningham, a wonderful freelance film critic who has actually written for Little White Lies. So there you go. Jake is also the co host of the wonderful podcast, The Gibliotech, a podcast dedicated to the films of Studio Ghibli. The Gibliotech, in recent years, has also pivoted to other animation studios. Uh, and at the time of recording, you can hear a wonderful. Wonderful miniseries on the films of Leica Studios, which uh, just bear that in mind, folks, because in a couple of months' time we're doing a little Leica retrospective of our own at Picture House. Okay, now let's talk movies. First up, Where is Anne Frank? In cinemas on the 12th of August. It's the new animated film from director Ari Foleman, the man behind the incredible Waltz of Bashir. I can't wait to hear what Hannah and Jake think of the movie. Just a little synopsis from me to give their review some context. The film follows the journey of Kitty, the imaginary friend whom Anne Frank dedicated her diary to. Kitty wakes up in the near future in Anne Frank's house in Amsterdam and embarks on a journey to find Anne, who she believes is still alive in today's Europe. While the young girl is shocked by the modern world, she also comes across Anne's legacy. And now over to Hannah and Jake to see what they think of the film. Make them fight your war somehow. This young lady here named Kitty is looking
1: for Anne Frank. Have you seen her? So, Jake, we have just seen Where is Anne Frank. What did you make of this film?
2: Well, other than the fact that the title, Curiously, doesn't end with a question mark, (laughs) and immediately I'm thinking of The Strokes album, Is This It? Once I got past that opening title card... (laughs) Ari Folman, I think, is a fascinating director uh, because his films take a long time to make. His looking back to Walks with Bashir, which I think is like 2007, 2008. And then The Congress, which I think is around 2013, 2014. So this is a long time. And this is a guy who's very passionate about animation, very passionate about history, very passionate about very personal stories, even something as wild like The Congress. These films are very imbued with a lot of emotion, uh, which... Perhaps more adult-oriented animation maybe um, isn't a common thing that audiences might be finding. And this film is—he's really going for uh, going going for a lot that we've seen in in his previous films. Because I think you can see from a film like *Walks with Bashir* how much he wants to tell people stories that are very lived from the real world. But a film like *The Congress*, which I think is. Brilliant and criminally underseen shows how much he really wants to flex his imagination and what he can do within his form of animation. Anne Frank feels a bit torn at times. It does have brilliant moments of animation, and you feel like that's perhaps the film that if it was, if it all 90 minutes of it was that, it might be a bit too much. Where you do have, kind of Clark Gable on the back of a horse descending down a mountain like it's the battle of uh, Helm's Deep uh, (laughs) fighting against these incredibly designed Nazi figures who look like giant chessboard ornaments with sunken eyes. Like, this kind of more fantasy elements of it are stunning. But you do have this, it's kind of framed in this story of Anne Frank and Anne Frank's imaginary friend having to grapple with what happened to Anne Frank. And that side of the film is perhaps the kind of thing that maybe you would get shown in, year eight when you needed to learn about the war um that is not to say that's a bad thing and i would encourage any year eight teachers to take their kids to this film but it's it does kind of have to find a balance between those two sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't what did you make of it
1: yeah i think it's a really interesting one i i like you think the congress is is very underrated i really like that film and would definitely recommend other people check that out as well um this is an interesting one because i guess it's his first foray into storytelling for a younger audience and it is very much aimed at like you say the the kind of uh, young adult the the next generation who maybe don't really know the story of Anne Frank which seems kind of um absurd to me because it's something that was so drilled into my head as a teenager studying history and I went to Auschwitz and you know we really kind of Learned a lot about the Holocaust, but I think it has been the the strange thing where there's been i think a rise in kind of holocaust denial, so I know that Ari Foreman has really been um working with the Anne Frank Foundation to kind of try and make sure this story isn't forgotten, which is a really noble aim and a really um important aim I think, but that balance is is quite jarring, I find it sometimes because you get the really modern kind of flourishes of like and Frank flirting with all the teenage boys in the neighborhood, but then that kind of reality of what happened is always in the back of your mind. I do think it's really nice and really important to kind of show the, that she uh, was a teenage girl at the end of the day, and in her diary she was writing about having crushes and, you know, very kind of teenage girl things, and I think it does capture some of that capriciousness and that kind of light that comes with being a teenager as well i think it's uh, a very ambitious film not always one that totally worked for me but definitely like you say i think a a really good tool for teaching this part of history particularly to younger audiences and not at all kind of a difficult watch you know i wasn't sitting there like looking at my phone or anything i was very much engaged with it Uh, so i'm just glad i think to see another Ari Folman film
2: yeah, absolutely. And I think if, you, if you're if you a fan of animation, I would go into this thinking, yeah, you might sit through some sections that feel like a kind of strange time travel YA romance that flutters between the modern day and the war, which uh, can leave a strange taste in the mouth. But then every five minutes or so, you just get this blast of creativity that's stunning. And those, those make it worth watching. Um, and I think politically it's quite interesting i think the the title of the film and i joked about there not being a question mark on the end of it the film is trying to answer that question who is Anne Frank with a statement and that's that's why it's not there and at the start of the film to me this it's trying to say that we have perhaps strayed too far from the idea of what Anne Frank is which is that she is a person and these are the things that happen to her and at the start of the film you're very much reminded that Anne Frank has almost become a brand. Mm-hmm. Anne Frank is a house and a museum and a bridge, and she's not a person. And the journey of the film is to remind you who the person is and that it's not just a tourist trap.
1: Yeah, absolutely. yeah, I think definitely it's a really good reminder of our history, and you know that's that's never been more important, I think.
2: Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema.
0: Kia, movement that inspires. Where Is Anne Frank opens on the 12th of August. Next up, we've got the new summer blockbuster Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt and a whole ensemble of, uh, of characters, and directed by David Leach, who, interestingly, I didn't know this before this film came out, used to be Brad Pitt's stunt double. This is the story of a group of assassins who meet on a high-speed Japanese train, a shinkansen, or a bullet train, as the title alludes to, uh, and their various plots collide, uh, resulting in an almighty showdown whilst on the train. I'm keen to hear what Hannah and Jake make of this. All aboard! Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies i'm not that guy anymore some conflicts require a gun
2: our next destination at the cinema is (laughs) bullet train uh is this a film that would require a return journey are you going back twice for this one what do you make of it?
1: So this is the kind of big blockbuster of the summer, I guess. It's I've seen the trailer about a thousand times. Every time I go to the cinema, it's there, haunting me. And it's, you know, got this huge A-list cast. We've got Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Jerry King, just the names keep coming. And um it's David Leach, who obviously was behind one half of the John Wick team, Deadpool 2, Atomic Bond. He's kind of well established now as a um action guy but with a kind of zany twist is I guess his thing and I was intrigued I always kind of am with anything that is blending Japanese and Western culture because I think there's that you kind of worry that it's going to feel a bit um Orientalist, I guess. <laughs> and I do think that's something that maybe the film struggles a little bit with, uh, having these kind of kitschy Japanese flourishes because the whole thing is set on this bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto and it's full of assassins and they're all kind of squaring off against each other. And it's based on this book by Japanese author, uh, Kotaro Isaka, but I think that was very much jumping-off point. I think that it was more kind of there's a train and Assassins, and a lot of references to Thomas Tank Engine. And that's kind of, that's where the film departs. Um, and, and
2: Brad Pitt looking like he's just walked out of a Stone Roses concert in 96.
1: Yeah, there's some real choices in the, like, kind of costumes in this film. Um, I, I particularly enjoyed um, Brian Tyree Henry's, like, bleach blonde kind of look. I, I was a big fan of that. And his, he's doing, like, a British accent, which I thought was very charming brad pitt's character is a really kind of funny role for him because he's playing this sort of down on his luck assassin who um is just doing this job to ease him back in because he's had a run of bad luck and he's a bit like hapless which i think brad pitt does quite well but it just was um it's an incredibly violent film. And then you have this kind of, like, jokey, comicky tone that I guess is really, like, similar to something like Deadpool 2, which was such a huge success. And I think David Litch is really, like, leaning into that as a filmmaker now, that kind of cartoon hyper-violence.
2: I think... This, this cast, as you went through it, there is some that I think they, yeah, they seem at home than this. And then some where I'm like not entirely sure because <laughs> I suppose that the characters or actors that we don't see pop up that often. And when we do, maybe it's in a, a very small role or in a film that gets forgotten about. When I've seen the trailer for this one, it's Aaron Taylor Johnson who sticks out, who's an actor <laughs> that I, I do like, but I feel I don't see enough. Um, and like when he does a, when he pops up in something like Tenet, and you're watching the film thinking, is that who I think it is? And then yeah. it is. And it took me a few goes on the trailer just to realize that it's him in this as well. And his, his hair is looking wonderful.
1: He um, does have great hair. And <laughs> he is, he, so he and um, Brian, Tyree, Henry play this like kind of double act of Assassins called Tangerine and Lemon. And they are very fun together. I just kind of want to spin off with those two because they have a great chemistry together and they're really fun to watch. They have a whole very, um, the beginning of Reservoir Dogs talking about Madonna's Like a Virgin they have this whole like conversation about Thomas Tank Engine and the kind of deeper philosophy of of that uh, show which is very funny as like as, as British people obviously growing up Thomas Tank Engine I thought that was a very like oh yeah I understood that reference but yeah great to see Aaron great to see Brian Brian Terry Henry is one of our great comedic talents and also can be incredibly like terrifying, as in um, widows. So I'm I'm thrilled to just see him getting more work.
0: So there we go. Bullet Train is in cinemas now. I also had the pleasure of seeing this film and it was a very busy Friday night screening and uh, there was a good atmosphere in the screen. Uh, A bit of whooping, a bit of cheering and a lot of uh, giggling. And now for something completely different and all too rare, a totally Welsh language horror film, The Feast directed by Lee Haven Jones in cinemas from the 19th of August. So...
1: Next we have another slice of uh, UK horror, which is having a real boom at the moment. What did you make of The Feast?
2: The Feast is a creepy little film. Um, <laughs> um, I, I like this film. Uh, it's a, it's in Welsh language. And so you are something great about watching any subtitled thing where you've got to focus on it more. You're going to get drawn into it. But I love hearing the Welsh language spoken. Um, it's such a beautiful thing to listen to. And it's so alluring. And that I think for, for an outsider with this film being set during uh, the dinner of a kind of upper middle class uh, kind of political family uh, and the, the kind of charm offensive that they're giving to their guests, the addition of the language made it equally alluring for me. It's a very atmospheric horror film. I, I think you've roughly got uh, about an hour maybe 70 minutes of just unease and creepiness and some very, very kind of strange behavior. My brother, when we were young, he was a, a professional cyclist as well. So there was many times where I'd just walk into a living room and he's there on a turbo trainer, topless, kind of just having to bash out kilometers for like multiple hours a day. And this film has a Has a character who does that and has this kind of Patrick Bateman esque stare. He's so focused and terrifying. The whole family makeup of all these people uh, is quite disturbing. And it doesn't give you many clues as to what relationships are to anyone. You just got to kind of sink into this family and figure it out. And I would say, like, the film does kind of get into more traditional horror elements as it goes down the road but it's at its most creepy when you're just getting to learn about these people because they're horrible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're such a disconcerting family unit. And for a lot of the films, I think the actual kind of horror starts quite late or the kind of traditional, what we would think of as traditional horror so you are spending a lot of time with this very unnerving group of people and there's that whole thing of who's the real monster in this film which I always like kind of enjoy that thing and it really plays up the kind of class tensions between the nouveau rich and the um kind of working class they're all there's a sort of kitchen maid, servant, waitress who's come to help with this dinner party they're throwing and they're all so horrible to her. And that is very true to life, I think, as well, but um, really kind of underscores how unpleasant this family are and how kind of wrapped up they are in their own lives. And I really enjoyed the kind of folklore element as well. So it's bringing in kind of Welsh folklore, which feels like something we don't really get to see on screen that often.
2: Yeah, and it, it there is elements of the story that if they were told in um in a more over the top style, it would feel really heavy handed. And like if I say it on mic like here, where it's like, oh, it's a it's a Welsh uh Welsh family. They got rid of their farm and built an expensive house and it's on top of um kind of rare mineral deposits and they're mining it. And there is a potential kind of folkloric character that lives in the caves underneath you think that's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> that's a bit obvious, isn't it? In the hands of director lee hoven jones it it doesn't feel kind of rote it it feels absolutely right and like these characters are heightened but only very slightly um like you've got politicians that are kind of walking out of the thick of it slimy mineral boy that's uh kind of walking out of the succession and you've got elements of, of these hyper wealthy family dramas we've seen before like something like Feston, like you can absolutely see in this film or another film i really love the invitation if anyone's seen that where you are just kind of descending into the world of a class of people that you may not have much familiarity with and you just feel like you come out of it needing a shower (laughs) yeah it's, it's quite gross and unpleasant but it is also quite fun like It's not like a kind of one of those, like a thinky horror where uh, it's not actually fun or scary. Like that's crucial to it. Like it does have a good time with some of the characters and some of the gore too.
0: Ah oh, well, there we go. I'm, I'm glad they both enjoyed this film. I guess it's a it's an unusual one because seeing a film in the Welsh language is unusual, which is weird considering the country we live in, you know, and and how much great talent comes from Wales. How many productions are actually made in Wales? It's uh, it's so rare still. With all of that to see a, a film, of course, there's lots of Welsh television which is broadcast in Wales, but to see a film, a feature film, which is not only distributed across Britain, but internationally. This film has played at European horror festivals and and all sorts, Uh, and it's going down a treat. But it's a really ambitious film. It's really bold. I just think Lee Haven Jones, the director, is someone to watch. Uh, He's going to go on to do incredible things. But he's already done incredible things, and it's called The Feast, and it's in cinemas on the 19th of August. And for our final film this month, it's something that I have been looking forward to for a couple of years now. It's the next film from Jordan Peele, writer and director of recent hits, Get Out and Us. His brand new film is Nope. This movie reunites him with his Get Out star, Daniel Kalua uh, and brings in a whole bunch of fantastic actors, including Kiki Palmer and Steven Yun. And if you're watching the Apple TV show, uh, for all mankind uh, the actress who plays Margot madison is in this film and honestly i am mainlining for all mankind on apple plus uh, apple tv plus right now and uh, and when she appeared on screen I, I jumped out my seat i turned to my wife like oh my god it's margo madison uh, jake hasn't seen nope yet but uh but hannah will have a conversation with jake uh about the movie for what it's worth This is one of my favorite films of the year already. I know, I know, it's too soon, Sam, to be saying films of the year, but I think this film is wonderful and I cannot wait to watch this again when it opens in cinemas on the 12th of August. Here we go. Run, OJ, run!
2: All right, Hannah, now last on the list here, but I imagine first on the list for our audiences this summer uh, is Jordan Peele's new film, Nope, which is perhaps, in terms of like mainstream blockbusters, maybe the most anticipated film of the summer, if not the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This would be my pick for the blockbuster of the summer. It's it's funny to call it a blockbuster, I guess, because obviously Jordan Peele made his debut with Get Out, which was at Sundance and was very much a kind of. I don't know if it was an unexpected hit, but it made a lot back on its budget. It was an indie film that really went and went and went and obviously was nominated for Oscars. And then Us was on a slightly bigger scale, but then Nope is definitely his most ambitious and kind of most money has been put into production. (laughs) Watching it, you're like, this obviously costs a lot of money, but I'm happy to see it. I'm so happy that he's been given the kind of budgets that he deserves to realise this incredible... Um, sci-fi horror western type thing that's going on with it and he's back working with Daniel Cleo which we love to see they're one of the great modern director actor partnerships and Kiki Palmer and Stephen Yerner are in there as well so it's really like an exceptional cast a very enticing cast when it was first announced and I was so excited to see this and it really did live up to my expectations I saw it on an IMAX screen, which I think is the best way to see it, but any way you can watch it, I definitely recommend this film. It's such a joy to kind of be in the hands of a master of horror who really wants to kind of challenge our perceptions of what a horror film is, but also retains this real sense of humour. He's such a funny filmmaker, and he works with actors who are really great at matching those kind of comic beats in his script.
2: Now, and I know I'm kind of... um wary about this conversation because on my own personal twitter feed i before after seeing a few tweets i was like right i'm muting everything nope peel Kaluya, <laughs> palmer everything's muted i don't want to know anymore the little drip feed that i got was enough so yeah i'm wary about this very conversation um but the bits <laughs> that i i saw were like this is jordan peele doing a spielberg film but then i saw no, this isn't Jordan Field doing a Spielberg film. I think I was uh, guilty of
1: saying the <laughs> latter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: and then it, it's actually a Hitchcock film. Actually, no, it's a film about films. I'm like, okay, I'm muting this now before I get more confused about what this thing actually is. So of of that bunch, was is it maybe <laughs> caught in a Venn diagram of all of them?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think it's so clear that Peel is inspired by uh, people like Spielberg, particularly Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Jaws, um, but also Hitchcock, The Birds, is kind of a key touchstone for this film. But also M. Night Shyamalan, there's a a very, very funny scene early on which is very clearly inspired by signs. And it's not a spoiler to say this is a UFO, is there life beyond the universe film, Um, but it really takes that idea and kind of puts a really contemporary spin on it, which sounds pretentious, but it's not a pretentious film, I don't think. I think it's a really actually accessible film that has some incredibly interesting ideas behind it. And yeah, it's a film about filmmaking. The central characters are part of this dynasty of black horse trainers in Hollywood who are descended from the first ever black man who was on film and they so
2: this is why he has a scorpion king
1: hoodie yes because right. in the trailer you see this amazing <laughs> daniel key is wearing this amazing orange hoodie that is a scorpion king crew hoodie because his family worked on the scorpion king <laughs> and he says at one point they didn't even use the horses they replaced them with camels which i thought was just such a lovely like bit of like behind the scenes like yeah that sort of thing does tend to happen in films you'll work really hard and then they'll just change it at the last minute in that sense it's a film about filmmaking through the lens of kind of horror and it's talking about the exploitation of black labor in hollywood but also the idea of exploitation of tragedy on a wider scale and how tragedy has become spectacle uh in america and particularly in cinema and i think that is such a complex thing to get across in a horror film essentially and it is horror like there, there is some real Gritting your teeth, edge of your seat, peering for your fingers moments in this film. It's such a wonderful um, breath of fresh air in that sense. It really does feel like nothing I've seen before, but it does have these kind of little flourishes where you can tell that he's really, Jordan Peele's really done his homework and he's really paying homage to the masters whilst being this entirely new thing. And he, he does get compared to Spielberg and Hitchcock and all these other masters, but I think it's time we start putting some respect on his name and acknowledging Jordan Peele is Jordan Peele. He's the first of his name, the first guy to be to doing it like he is. And I am so, he's three to three for me now. I'm just so excited for whatever he does. I think he's truly one of the best filmmakers we have at the moment. And such a delight to see Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer acting together because they are they have such great chemistry they're so funny and again top of their game young actors the best we've got
2: well and both of them have put together just the most joyous press tour as well like basically any interview with Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer or any appearance of Daniel Kaluuya on Kiki Palmer's Instagram all, all of it has just been such a dream if you ha- like Daniel Kaluuya's episode of Hot Ones uh, is is an all-timer just anything to do with this film, even if it's, like, nothing to do with it, seems to be brilliant, which yeah. is, is, is remarkable.
1: <laughs> it's They're just such charismatic presences. And Kiki Palm, I have always loved her and I'm so glad she's kind of finally getting her flowers because she's been around for quite a long time now. She doesn't want to kind of appeal to the masses necessarily. She's very happy to kind of do her own thing and Daniel I think is like that as well. He picks projects that he feels very passionate about and very interested in and so you do get them kind of matching each other's energy but also matching Jordan Peele's energy and it's such a film where there's a real sense of everyone being all in on it and everything... Convalesces in this really beautiful, exciting way. And I came out of the cinema feeling like I could punch my way through a brick wall. I was so hyped up after watching this film. It's just, it's magnificent.
2: Oh, I'm glad that we're doing this virtual bar virtually then, because I, <laughs> I could have been, this, could have had a sucker
0: punch just because of the energy.
1: <laughs> absolutely, uh, <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> so Nope opens on the 12th of August. It must be seen on the big screen. It's one of those films, again, uh, I saw this it, quite a busy. Screening and it's quite tense. It's a little bit scary. It's quite funny. And uh, and it was great to see it with a crowd The people were uh, Properly, uh, you yeah, know properly responding to the film Lots of laughter a little bit of hollering and a lot of people sort of covering over their eyes at, at times as well um, Yeah, a marvelous marvelous film as is tradition whilst we have Hannah and Jake here we wanted to ask what else they'd recommend on the big screen this month and see what they're looking forward to Later in the year.
1: So, Jake, what is there still playing in cinemas that you'd recommend to the listeners?
2: Okay, well, uh, the. The challenge with this was that I wanted to just say, go and watch all the Vim Vendors films that are in cinemas um, because uh, there is the Kino Dreams retrospective, which I think is seven Vim Vendors films. So you could just go and watch all of them. But because I knew I was talking to you, Hannah, and because I also want to talk about another film you and I like and that I think people should see that maybe they didn't. That film is Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills film with Joaquin Phoenix from last year, which is Joaquin Phoenix is playing the uh, uncle to a little boy, and they go around various American cities uh, recording lots of lovely conversations. And it's just a dreamy, dreamy film, love it. Um, And I also want to recommend Alice in the Cities, the Wim Wenders film, in which an older man and a little girl go around various German cities uh, also in black and white, like, come on, come on. Uh, so as a double bill, uh, I would recommend that's your home viewing and your cinema viewing. Uh, what about you, Hannah?
1: I would like to recommend, and it's very on brand because it is a Pitch House release, I'd like to recommend uh, Hit the Road by Pana Panahi, which is, it was a darling of Cannes and London Film Festival. Uh, it's about a family who are going on this road trip uh, to a kind of unknown destination, and they are captained by this this very, very cute, very precocious young boy who's kind of bouncing around the vehicle with the dog and the mum and the dad who are all a bit kind of world weary. And it's just delightful. It's really able to find a balance between kind of uh, wacky humour and this incredibly heart-wrenching story that kind of gets unveiled very slowly throughout through the eyes of this child I definitely recommend it and particularly poignant at the moment because uh, Panar Panahi's father Jafar has been sentenced to prison in Iran because of standing up against kind of things that the government are doing so definitely go and support this film
2: great pick So Hannah, that's what's in cinemas now, what's immediately coming up in cinemas. Looking further ahead, we've got a telephoto zoom lens on the calendar (laughs) uh, as Jordan Peele or Hitchcock might like us to have. Uh, What are you looking forward to most?
1: So there's so much great um, cinema coming out in the next few months. I really could do a whole podcast just about things I'm excited to see but the one I would like to kind of highlight people is Martin Madonna's The Banshees of Insurin which I believe is out in October and this is uh, the filmmaker behind In Bruges, uh, Three Brailleboards outside Ebbing, Missouri and I'm a big fan of him anyway but this is him reuniting with Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson and bringing in uh, Barry Keogh to the mix and I am so excited for it. It looks, from the stills alone, I just have no idea what to expect, but I'm such a big fan of Farrell and Gleason. I think they're such a wonderful pairing together on screen. I can't wait to see this.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I've heard there's some uh, quite sweaty, inducing, uh, finger-based horror in that film, uh, which uh, is already kind of making my stomach lurch. <laughs>
1: What about you? What are you looking forward to seeing? All
2: right, so I want to shout out Tsutsume's um, Locking Up, which is a film that, helpfully I, I has no release date for the UK, so market, <laughs> you can't even mark it in your calendars. But this is the new film from Makoto Shinkai. Uh, if people saw Your Name or Weathering With You, he's the director of those films. Beautiful, kind of hyper-real anime uh, that is extremely melodramatic and... Uh, I really, really enjoyed just kind of taking apocalyptic events and giving them over to teenagers to explore their feelings through. Uh, Just very, very lovely and so beautiful to look at. And this film sounds really intriguing. We don't know a huge amount about it, um, but what we do know is rough concept. If anyone saw the Paul Thomas Anderson directed music video for Daydreaming, the Radiohead song, in which Tom York opens a doorway and then walks through into another world and then walks through to another doorway and then another world. Imagine that, but it's kind of YA anime uh, and that there will be, uh, I'm sure, lots of danger that threatens the world of uh, Japan and, and beyond. Um, that That's about it, really. We know... We know precious else, uh, but I'm I'm very very excited, and so do check that one out. And for a Shinkai film, you want to see it on a big screen because, like, the his animation is so, yeah, as I said, hyper real. It's unbelievable, uh, but not too real. You know, it still looks lovely, much nicer than our real world. Like it's <laughs> it's like this is our world that's had like a million like barocas. It's, wow. Um,
1: what a way to describe <laughs> a visual. I love that. It's sold. That's how I want the world to look all the time.
2: Alas, our world is not like that, Hannah, but it is a world in which you exist and that's a benefit at least. So where where can people be keeping up with you and what are you up to?
1: So uh, in my day-to-day life, I am the digital editor at Little White Lies magazine. So you can find us at lwlies.com. And then I recently wrote my first book, Sophia Coppola, Forever Young, about, surprise, surprise, Sophia Coppola. And I'm doing a screening of her incredible film somewhere which again a little bit inspired by alice in the cities and that is going to be on the 26th of august at hackney pitch house i'm going to be doing a book signing and introduction so definitely come along and check that out and you can find me on twitter at the third hand if you have enjoyed these hot takes at uh, jake whereabouts can people find you
2: well, well. Before I do my plugs, I'll just say go and watch somewhere on a big screen because there there is a a zoom shot in somewhere that is just an absolute stunner. And if you can watch that on the big screen, uh, Hannah's Hannah's event, do get along because just that's worth the ticket price alone. But if if people want to hear from me, they can hear hear me on the Ghibli Tech podcast. Um, really going with the brand here and plugging some anime earlier. That, that was maybe laying it on a bit thick, um, but that's a podcast that's all about uh, Studio Ghibli and, uh, well, animation in general. And we're currently in the midst of a series all about uh, the filmmaker Henry Selick and the studio Laika. Uh, so if you are interested in films like Missing Link or Coraline or The Nightmare Before Christmas, um, go and have a listen to that series. And buy our book, called, also called Tech, which is a, a guide to all the films of Studio Ghibli. Uh, if you want to keep up with me individually, though, I'm on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham.
0: There we go. That brings us to the end of another show. Thank you to Hannah Strong and Jake Cunningham for being our guest film critics. Do check out Little White Lives magazine. Do pick up a copy of Pitch House Recommends uh, and read Hannah's writing in there. And you can listen to Hannah on the Little White Lives podcast from time to time please listen to Jake's excellent Ghibliotech podcast. Been running for a few years now and it's covered every film in the Studio Ghibli back catalogue and many, many others. So, uh, yeah, do check that out. I'm a a subscriber. I enjoy that show. And hey, whilst we're talking movie podcasts, if you'd like to hear more from me, I host a fortnightly show about under-90-minute films, the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. A link to that in the show notes. We could not make this show without Kobe Omanaka, our valiant producer. Kobe Omanaka and, uh, and Stripped Media, thank you so much, Kobe, uh, for your work on this month's episode. And the show is edited by Maddie Searle, our superstar editor. Thank you very much, Maddie. The show was proudly supported by Kia powering independent cinema if you like the show please leave a five star rating and a review on apple podcasts or follow and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice so you never miss an episode we'll be back in a month with two new guest film critics thank you for listening all the way to the end of the show i hope you enjoy whatever you end up watching this month and I hope you enjoy this podcast. We've got a whole back catalogue if you'd like to go and uh, and listen to some previous episodes covering some older films and uh, and our interview specials with filmmakers and actors as and when they pop by our, our venues. Enjoy the movies in August. The nice thing about going to the cinema in summer is, as well as the great films, the air conditioning. What a great combo. Nice and chill. Watching a wonderful film on the big screen. Uh, do check the listings. Hope you find something you enjoy and I'll see you in September. Goodbye.